The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today's guest joining us all the way from York, England is Rachel Roche, founder of Roche Legal. In 2018, Rachel was awarded the Law Society's prestigious Sole Practitioner of the Year accolade, and the success was followed in 2019 with two more awards for excellence in private client work. Rachel, thanks so much for making the time to join us this evening. Thank you for having me. So first of all, Rachel, uh, how are you and your family doing? Um, we're doing really well, which is great. Um, we're very lucky that we're able to work from home. Everyone's healthy. Um, obviously, uh, we've got the utmost respect for people who are continuing to work on the front line and um, those who are in not as fortunate a position as us. But uh, no, everyone's here is, is great. Thank I'm, you. I'm so what about yourself? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, me and my family are, uh, are well, we're healthy, uh, which is uh, the most important thing these these days and and like you mm -hmm. feel very lucky that uh both myself and uh the the broader clio team are in a position to work from home and uh to add to uh you know what is uh you know a difficult overall climate from a, a human humanitarian standpoint uh we've actually got you know some some beautiful weather in in mm -hmm. uh in vancouver this <laughs> week to, to help offset some of that uh uh, some of the, the flood of bad news I feel like we're, we're inundated with. So you can at least go for a walk and try to get away from it all for a, uh, for a minute or two at least. Yeah, um, it's the same here. It's beautiful weather. So um, it helps. Good, good. And uh, tell me a little bit about the, some of the personal uh, changes you've experienced as a result of COVID-19. And uh, most of our, our listeners are, are stateside. So curious uh, you can maybe just give us a bit of broader context in terms of what is the COVID-19 situation in England more broadly, <laughs> what kind of personal impacts can it, has it had for you? Yeah, so just two hours ago, it was announced that lockdown here is going to be extended for at least another three weeks. So we're three weeks in, another three weeks at least, they're saying. I suspect it will go on for longer. Um, everyone is working from home where possible. Uh, we're going out for an hour a day for some exercise. We're allowed to go shopping for essential items and to help anybody who's vulnerable. Um, for me, that means I've just been at home most of the time. I obviously go out to walk the dog. I go and get some food when I need it. And I have been going into the office once a week to check on the post. Um, but we, I mean, we've always been set up to work remotely. So in terms of the working practices, we've just relocated to our desks at home and it's not really impacted us from a practical point of view. Um, but of course, with everything going on, you do worry about the wider economy. Um, you know, are the clients still going to be willing to engage with you remotely by video call? Um, most of them are. Some of them, obviously, this is a brand new world for them. They're not used to dealing with solicitors or any business, really, over the internet, using a computer or laptop. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's like I've been saying to lots of people, it's one thing being very well set up to work from home and being able to be nimble as a small firm and adaptable. But it's quite another than to see the reactions of the wider economy and how that's going to bounce back after all of this. Yeah, agree. And, <coughs> and tell us a bit more about your, your firm, Rachel, in terms of how many folks are in it and, and what uh, what practice areas you're focused on. 
So my practice area at Roche Legal is private clients. So that's typically wills, trusts, tax planning. Um, we deal with a lot of clients who are vulnerable. Uh, the elderly, we uh, look at issues of mental capacity in the context of will making and applications to the court of protection for what we call here is deputy applications. So that's when somebody may have lost capacity and we need to have somebody appointed by the court to manage their financial affairs or make specific decisions about their health and welfare. Um, we also specialise in missing people, so that's typically applications for declarations of death when somebody's been missing for seven years or more, or dealing with a new law that came into effect last summer, which is applying to, again, the Court of Protection for somebody to be appointed guardian over the affairs of somebody who's been missing for 90 days or more. Mm. Um, so that obviously has really wide-ranging implications. Uh, before the law on that was passed last year, there was nothing you could do in respect to managing the affairs of a missing person unless they'd been gone for seven years or more at which point the only option was then to declare them dead legally so that's had a that's had a huge impact for the 250,000 people who go missing every year in England um, so that's a snapshot of what we do day to day um, we're seeing a rise in people worrying about things like wills and powers of attorney in the current climate right. Um, lots of people thinking, oh gosh, you know, it's been on their list at some point, but now it needs to get to the top of the list and people need to update their wills or make wills if they've not got them already. Um, lots of requests for certified copies of powers of attorney as well. People are worried about getting poorly, getting, you know, being ill and then going into hospital, for instance, and not having the documentation readily available for their attorneys to start managing their financial affairs if decisions like that need to be made for them whilst they're unable to make them for themselves. Um, so that's what we do. Um, so I suppose, you know, we're here to support those clients um, in in the in the worry state that they're in at the moment and tell us a little bit more about this <laughs> will writing and powers of attorney and some of the the shifts and i'm sure maybe urgent uh demands <laughs> and requests that you've had on that front over the uh the last month or so i know many of your clients are elderly and at at high risk of contracting <laughs> covid19 or, or maybe already have covid19 there's a level of urgency and maybe even panic I'm sure that you're seeing in uh, in the broader market as a result of COVID-19. Can you, can you walk us through what you're you're seeing and how it's changed your practice and maybe even how your team has been able to ch evolve and change how they respond over the last month? Mm -hmm. So being a, a, a niche private client practice we do typically deal with with a with a lot of clients who are vulnerable who are also in the high risk category of contracting COVID-19 and we do have clients that have contracted um, COVID-19 and who have died. So, you know, we, we are doing what we can to support those clients and their families through what must be an incredibly difficult time. In terms of the, the practicalities of signing documents, um, this is something that I've been talking about for many years, but it's, it's, this is a great opportunity for it to come to the forefront of, of lawmakers, um, which is digitally signing documents and getting documents witnessed remotely. So mm -hmm. at the moment in the UK for a will to be valid, it needs to be signed by the will maker, the testator, and witnessed by two independent people. So, you know, in the usual run of events, we would ask the clients to come in or we would send the documentation out to them for them to arrange their own signatures. I would really like to see a change in the law to allow things to be witnessed remotely, because obviously that has benefits uh, 
health benefits at the moment and ensures that everyone's adhering to social distancing. Um, even better that documents can be signed electronically, but I do think we're a long way off that. Um, the advice and guidance that we're giving to clients at the moment is to is to just we need to sign things in the usual way but they need to maintain the social distancing guidelines that are in place here in the uk which is to keep at least two meters apart um, we released the guidance last week about this and you know it is as simple as that just make sure that you're both you know that you're all a, a, you're all in the vicinity to be able to see the testator sign but then move away from the document wear gloves use different pens Right. And that's all we can really do at the moment. Um, I think it's fine to witness documents through the window if that's practical, but that you still got to actually still sign the same document. So you've still got a right. practical situation of then passing the document through the window or leaving it in the porch and having the person come and get the document, take it outside. Um, we've seen situations where wills have been signed on the bonnets of cars. I mean, I've done that years ago anyway for clients that are not able to physically get out of the car and come into the office. So, you know, we've been doing that for a long time anyway. But, um, you know, obviously people are very, very worried. And I think it's our job when we are putting their minds at rest, not only by creating the legal documentation to do that, but also to give them some reassurance that when they're arranging those signatures, they can do so safely. So are, are we going to see, as we've seen, drive through COVID-19 testing in places like uh, Hong Kong and, and South Korea? Uh, we'll, we'll maybe see drive through wills and estates uh, planning yeah. and, i think and we're seeing that here yeah we're seeing that here already um the only difficulty is of course even with maintaining social distancing if you've got a very vulnerable and at high risk client is it better to you know obviously the ideal solution would be for them to be able to do this entirely remotely and and or electronically and i think lawmakers in this country need to um, move with the times. I know in France they are about to or they have implemented electronic signatures for powers of attorney. Um, you know, other countries have been doing this for a long time. I think we just need to, you know, have a process in place and, and get it done. And hopefully, you know, something positive can come out of this um, situation. Uh, not just this, obviously lots of positives will hopefully come out of this. Um, but um, hopefully one thing will be to make the to make signing documents and getting them witnessed a lot more convenient, especially for those who are vulnerable. And are are you seeing any indication that Parliament is is thinking about legislation or or anything else that might evolve what are what mm -hmm. are the requirements? It it does feel like uh, we're being forced into, you know, both both in the UK, but the same uh, the same restrictions around physical signatures and witnesses applies uh, in both the United States and, and Canada. These mm -hmm. all seem like rules and regulations around document signature that are really out of step with both the technology that's available today and. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the practicalities of the COVID-19 world. Are, are you seeing anything that you'd consider, you know, promising on, on the, uh, the legislation side of things? Yeah, I mean, there, there were consultations going on three or four years ago about electronic signatures to powers of attorney, and hopefully that will be revisited now. And I have spoken to the Law Society, and I'm aware that they are in talks with um, the Solicitors Regulation Authority and the Ministry of Justice to bring things into 
you know, bring things up to date. I mean, the Wills Act in this country dates from 1837. Um, right. So, you know, we, you know, there's a long way to go, I think. Um, but hopefully this is a good opportunity and the impetus needed to get things uh, moving. Absolutely. Uh, you answered part of this in your previous answer, but but I'm curious when you're looking at the unique needs that your clients and their families are going through right now in mm. in relation to the COVID-19 crisis, you know, over and above some of the logistics of getting signatures in a safe, in a safe way and, and getting witnesses uh, in a safe way. What else are you seeing in terms of what your, your clients and your, their families are going through and, and, and what are you doing to try to best support them through those challenges? Mm. Um, obviously, we, we need to be as sympathetic as, as possible to each individual situation because every client's going through this in a different way and will be affected in a different way. Um, I think for our clients, they're looking for reassurance that we can produce documentation timely um, in a timely fashion, which we would do on any way, of course, but I think they want extra reassurance about that. Um, you know, and we've been releasing other types of guidance as well to try and help people navigate this really uncertain time. So, um, for example, uh, a week or so ago, I received a, a couple of inquiries from relatives um, who had, um, you know, from people who had relatives in hospital um, and they were wanting some guidance and advice from us in terms of what we have here, DNRs, so do not resuscitate uh, decisions. Um, and how they are able to be involved or not, as the case may be, in those decisions that, that can be made by the hospital when somebody isn't able to make that decision or have a DNR signed by themselves. So, you know, these are really, really emotive situations that people are going through. And even if you're not directly affected at the moment about COVID-19, you, you know, we're having clients who are very worried for themselves and their family about what could happen. Um, and so, you know, I think we're trying to just bring a more human touch to, to how we deal with people. And I think clients are becoming um, a little bit more open to their legal advisor being a bit more friendly sometimes as well, because I think, you know, sometimes it can be very, very suited and booted and, and you know there's tick boxes and forms to fill out and information to get right. but I think um, you know we've had the best response from clients when we've actually said you know what you know we're all working from home at the moment it's a little bit different just bear with us or we understand what you're going through or we've been there or you know whatever I think it, it's a nice opportunity for lawyers to be really human about this and to um, you know show that we're just regular people like them like our clients, you know, and I think that's always been the case, but there is a perception, I think still, um, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Canada, but here, you know, I think there is still a perception that lawyers are a bit stuffy, um, but this is a good opportunity for, for, you know, people to just be a bit more human and kind about um, everybody's circumstances. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, a great point. And I've had uh, a few of my guests on this show comment about the fact that this has been actually a really great opportunity for them to show their more human side as part of the conversations <laughs> they're they're having and they're um, you know they're in their home environment they may might have their kids walk in they're not necessarily dressed in a three piece suit you know the the I, I think a lot of barriers and a lot of the you know the pageantry of the high end you know AAA office with the the marble floors and the the oak bookcases and all of that kind of go away and people are able to be more real and more connected. And I, I've, I've mm -hmm. talked to 
you know, several lawyers have, uh, that have commented on, on exactly as you put it, being, you know, more human and maybe more empathetic, more kind, has been something that they've found to be a really rewarding part of navigating this, this crisis. Mm, yeah, and I can entirely echo that. I think it, it's really nice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious too, among your, your client base, uh, Rachel, you'd maybe expect that it's mostly folks uh, that are senior citizens. Um, you know, I think what's interesting with, with COVID-19 is, despite popular perception, this is a disease that's impacting folks that are, are younger. Uh, earlier this week, in fact, I interviewed David Latt, uh, the uh, former editor-in-chief of Above the Law, uh, that many people followed his his infection with COVID nineteen, and thankfully he's he's well into his recovery now. Uh, but he's in his forties, you know, a, a, a two time New York Marathon finisher, uh, fit guy does not fit. I think what many of us have is the mm. the pro- prototype for a, a COVID nineteen patient. I'm curious, are you seeing an uptick in calls from people in their forties, fifties, you know, kind of in, in advance? Uh, of worrying about contracting COVID-19? What are you seeing in terms of where people's mindsets are around estate planning, power of attorney planning uh, Mm -hmm. from younger people? Um, I think, well, from what I'm seeing at my own firm, the age ranges of clients who are contacting us hasn't really changed. But Mm -hmm. I think as a a young firm ourselves, we typically attract clients who are, um, maybe a little bit younger anyway, because um, we are, we, you know, we were implementing technology right from the off. And, and so that's, def- that's typically going to attract clients who are more used to dealing with lawyers um, by video call or telephone or whatever it might be. Um, we're certainly seeing clients worry more um, across the board. Um, and, you know, if we get clients in their 40s and 50s, they may have, they may have children. And so they're typically more worried about their, their children and their wider family rather than themselves, mm-hmm. I find. Um, and I think that's just normal. Um, but no, I think for us, it, it, there's not been a marked change in the age range or the types of clients that are contacting us. Um, but I don't know if that's the same across the board here in the UK. Uh, as you mentioned, you, you may be already skewed a bit on the you know, younger mm. side to, uh, to start with. Uh, so let's sh- shift gears for a few minutes, Rachel. On, on top of running a very successful law firm, you've also co-authored a book, uh, which is a guide to setting up a law firm that's due for release uh, later this year in, uh, in September. Can you tell us a bit more about the book? Yeah, so myself and another solicitor called Darren, who um, I met on Twitter a couple of years ago, we are uh, writing a book um, commissioned by Law Society Publishing. It's about setting up a law firm, a practical guide to offering legal services. Very excited about it. Um, There isn't a resource like this available in the UK market at the moment. So um, that's really great news for people who are looking to embark on their own uh, law firm journey. Um, we are nearly finished it. Um, I'm actually writing the or finishing writing the chapter on health and well-being, which uh, seems a little bit ironic in the in the you know in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, and we had a, a conference call with the Law Society Publishing a week or so ago, um, and we will be adding an additional chapter to do with COVID and how we think things might change after this. Um, you know, things that might go back to so-called normal, but other things that will change um, forever. Um, so I think that will be a very interesting chapter to get our teeth into. 
Um, but no, I mean, we, we are hoping to still have the publishing date um, September this year. Um, and uh, I know it's a very exciting time to be involved in a publication like this. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's such a time of, of rapid innovation. I agree with you. It's a, a really exciting time. And uh, having recently finished writing my first book, yes. congratulations on, uh, you know, getting close to the, uh, the finish line with that. And it sounds like there will be some, some really topical uh, topics in, in that book. So I, I'm curious not, not to, uh, uh, spoil what will be, be, be in the book, but I'm, I'm curious if you can outline what some of the changes that you think will be enduring changes in the legal profession and how lawyers practice beyond this immediate crisis. Um, I think that, obviously, I mean, the obvious one is the use of technology and how that's going to be rolled out in some of the bigger firms, because um, I think it is easier for younger and smaller firms to be nimble and adapt to change, but they probably already have, like us, the capabilities of being able to deal with clients remotely. We also, I mean, for instance, we have an online platform here exclusively to take instructions um, online for Wilson Powers of Attorney. You know, that's quite unusual in this country because of the rules and regulations about um, taking instructions in that way and signing documents and so on and so forth. Um, but I think this is a real benefit for law firms because not only will it spur firms on to use technology in better ways but i think the public now are being forced well not forced but you know encouraged to use technology themselves because not only is it a barrier potentially for the firms not to have implemented that technology but for the public themselves to get used to a new way of working um, which ultimately I think benefits everybody. There's less traveling in the car, so the pollution levels will drop. People spend, you know, can spend more time with their family because they're not traveling 30 minutes each way to go for a meeting. Um, so I think it's a really good opportunity to bring everybody into um, a new way of thinking, not just for law firms. I, I think there's so much opportunity for long lasting, you know, change here, both both at the, the legal professional level, as well as, mm. you know, just everyone in terms of the the lasting impacts we're going to see from uh from this crisis and i i do think that when you look at the structural impacts of what will happen with with legal and you think about the fact that there can be massive overhead reductions in terms of not having to pay for you know that mm -hmm. high-end downtown office space and uh, you can have people leveraging work from home environments and you can be minimizing other forms of overhead and administrative costs by leveraging technology there there's i think a hope that this could actually have a dramatic impact on on access to justice and how people think about accessing lawyers in the you know in the first place so i i share your optimism on that front um when you so first of all i, I want to congratulate you on on the wide range of you know awards and recognition you've received for being forward thinking and embracing technology and being really innovative in how you deliver your your legal services the uh, law society of england and wales uh, for example said this about you rachel truly gives us a glimpse into the future of sole practice by using technology to provide new ways of doing things she manages to both address a legal need and provide a valuable and accessible service to clients. Um, so, so high praise, you know, from, from, from many in terms of how you think about innovation, how you think about solving legal needs and servicing your clients. Uh, I'd love for you just to walk through for a few minutes, some of the ways that you're, you've used technology 
and embraced innovation in your firm and, and, and maybe also what your, what your mindset is and what you encourage from a mindset perspective from your, your colleagues to, to drive that innovation? I think for me, the two key words here are communication and flexibility. You know, I think clients have different expectations, firstly, when it comes to how they want to be communicated with and how frequently, you know, um, and also just being flexible in the ways that we work. Um, if I'm honest, I don't necessarily think we're doing anything that's, you know, that's super innovative that no one's doing. I think we're just um, moving with the times. And I think lawyers perhaps have the reputation that they are a bit stuck in their ways and things have to be done a certain way because they've always been done that way. Whereas my mindset is very much, right, how can we make this better? You know, always how can we make this better? Can we do this a little bit quicker? Can we make this easier for the client? Um, and so I think that might have given us a little bit of an edge so far. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's a difficult question to ask, ask, to answer really because I don't know also what the US market is like in comparison to the UK market. Um, and it might be perhaps the UK is very far behind or we're about the same. Um, I, I think from a technology, my, my personal observation is I think from a technology perspective about on par in terms of uh, moving towards deregulating the legal market uh, ahead of where the, the US is. But I would say from a, you know, technology adoption and what what qualifies as innovation. I, I think that uh, my, my perspective is that there's about equal footing. Okay. And, and as you pointed out, I, I think it's, it's maybe, I know it's a big question, but it's also maybe easily answered. I, I heard you say, you know, it's really about focusing on the client and working backward from, yeah. from there and everything else follows. It's not necessarily about thinking, how do I do, groundbreaking first in the world legal innovation it's really mm -hmm. thinking about client needs and working working back from there yeah and, and obviously technology is great and forms a huge part of what we do here and what a lot of modern forward-thinking firms are doing um, but for me innovation isn't necessarily just about using technology it's just about thinking a little bit differently and perhaps thinking a little bit more from the client's perspective and to always try and improve the way that you do things to make things more streamlined to make things easier for not just you know just not not just for the client actually, but also for us as, as lawyers working in practice, can we shave a bit of time off the way that we process that piece of information, for example, because ultimately it will benefit the client, we'll be able to produce the work faster, more efficiently and more accurately. Right. And both with how, how your law firm ran previous to this crisis, as well as the technologies you, you adopted, can you, can you just tell us a little bit about what the transition from you know, pre-COVID-19 to post-COVID-19 looked like for your firm and maybe what, uh, what changes were easy and if there are any cha changes that you found to be a bit more of a, uh, a struggle or, or that required a bit more explicit change management? Um, I think the biggest change for me as a law firm owner was to have a little, just to be a little bit relaxed about other people in the business working from home. Um, yeah. I am used to working from home. I'll work anywhere. I'll work in the car in between meetings. You know, I think that's just how you are when you're running a business as well, be it legal or any other industry. Maybe yeah. you have to just be. You're adaptable. always on. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but then when it came to me thinking, I've got it, you know, my staff are going to have to work from home. Is that going to work for them? Is it going to be 
efficient? Are they going to get distracted? Will they do no work? You know, and, and none of those fears have come to fruition, which is great. Um, but obviously, you know, I haven't checked in with them um, every day. I don't want to micromanage people. Um, but it'll be interesting to see when we do have a real roundup at the end of this, whether they've actually enjoyed working from home. You know, that Melanie, who's been with me since the very beginning, you know, this is not usual for her. She usually works in the office. Um, I'm very happy for her to be working from home. It seems to be all working great. But does she actually like it? Do people enjoy being at their kitchen table or their dining room table all the time? And then, you know, commuting five seconds to the living room in the evening. I, th I think people do like still the separation between work and home. Um, and, you know, you've got to think about people's mental well-being and mental health. Um, in all of this as well. Yeah, I, I I do think it'll be really interesting to see where we, obviously the pendulum swung, I think from one one extreme where, you know, there was really not a lot of distributed law firms, not a lot of work from home uh, mm. acceptance in the, in the legal world. We're, we're, we're now in, in uh, figure it out or you, you won't survive end yeah. of the, the spectrum. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to things, see where things normalize on the other side of this COVID-19 crisis, because I think a lot of law firms have been, you know, and a lot of managers that I think harbored concerns similar to what you're outlining, you know, do people get work done at home? Can they get their work done at home? Is there too many distractions? Everything along those lines. We've, mm. I think a lot of law firms have clarity now that, wow, people are getting work done at home. And in fact, even in some cases, they're more productive than they ever were in, in the office. Uh, mm. But I think I'll, I'll, I'd be really interested to check in with you when you have the answer to some of the questions around, do people like working from home? Because I, mm. I think, you know, give this uh, a few more weeks or maybe it turns into a few more months and do people uh, really prefer working from home over working in the office or are people going to be begging to return to the, the office so they do get mm. that? ability to focus and and also separation from work and home life yeah and i think the novelty of working from home will wear off for a lot of people who are not used to it um and that's fine you know i i, I don't have any plans to get rid of my offices you know my physical offices for example but i definitely think on the back of this i will be um you know i'll be very very relaxed about people who want to work from home um and also just very interestingly as well just just uh, I'm just worry we don't have much time left but um, in terms of the business generally I think COVID-19 has really focused my mind about how I want to shape my business going forward so I definitely look at this from a business perspective as a real opportunity to make decisions and to make difficult decisions sometimes um, about how I want my firm to come out of this at the other end um, and, you know, for example, um, we have two new people that have just joined us in the last week or two. You know, that's very exciting. I'm feeling more confident about making decisions because I feel like as a newer firm, people will get us a little bit better now because they will be more open to using technology and, you know, trusting us that, yes, we're lawyers. We might be young and um, small, but um, we're doing exactly the same work as some of, uh, some of the heavier hitters. Yeah, it's uh, it's phenomenal. I think it's such a great example of the playing field being being leveled through uh, smaller firms and and technology, and and maybe to that point, you've long embraced the cloud and 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 other technologies to enable this distributed work and enable you to be more client centered in how you're delivering legal services. Uh, 
do you have advice for our listeners that may be just starting to shift their practices to the cloud? Uh, you know, it, it, the transition to work from home in a distributed work environment, you know, I, I think was relatively painless for many firms that had already transitioned to the cloud and, and some are doing that <laughs> effectively as an emergency uh, disaster response right now. How, mm. how do you think about um, advice and, and coping uh, mechanisms that, that firms might be able to implement to better navigate this, uh, uh, this crisis and, and moving to the cloud in, a, in an urgent um, I think it can definitely be done, but I certainly don't envy those uh, law firms and other businesses that are not set up to access files, for instance, or information uh, remotely. I just can't imagine working in any other way now. Um, and I came from a very, very traditional um, law firm before I set up my own practice. Um, and if I think, you know, about um, about the the more traditional firms that I've worked for in the past, it is an enormous task, or it certainly feels like an enormous task to get everybody on in, you know, using the cloud, but also you've got to switch the mindset of everybody in the business to work in a different way. Um, and that's a huge undertaking um, because it's one thing having the tech in place, but you still got to teach people to use it for one and also get people to buy into that new way of dealing with things. And I think that's the most difficult part of making any substantial changes in any business. Rachel, uh to close out, uh, what's your main message to others, either as legal professionals or just as people at this time? Um, I think that just relax. <laughs> There's nothing to panic about <laughs> to start with. I think um, um, just make some, you know, just sit down and really take the opportunity to make some strategic decisions about how you want your business to look when we come out of the, the other side of this. Um, you know, I think technology is, is key to this, along with other things. Obviously, tech is one thing, but humans are quite another. Um, but this is a really great opportunity to shift your mindset and to look and consider, you know, how clients will want to be um, dealt with at the end of this, how your business is going to look. It's, a, it's an opportunity to look at, you know, everything down to, you know, the heads and who you've got in your team. Um, you know, I think I've been, I don't know about anyone else, but, uh, you know, things can get very, very busy when you're the owner of a law firm or any business. Um, and I do remember in the last six, 12 months thinking, gosh, I wish the world would stop so I could have a little bit of time to think about what I'm actually doing here. And now it actually has. Right. So this is a, this is an opportunity to, to really take and think, right, what do I actually want to do here? And what's for the benefit of the business and the team and the clients, of course. Absolutely. Don't panic and look at this as an opportunity, I think is a, a great way to uh, wrap up our conversation. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time with us today, Rachel, especially in the, the evening there in the UK. Yes, same to you. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal and Derek Bolin and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com. 